let me tell you what's happening next week. Next week, we are launching into a brand new teaching series uh, based on the book of 1 Peter. I'm really, really excited about it. It's something I've been working on for a while. And uh, if you know anything about the book of 1 Peter, um, this is stuff that was happening during the early church. And it's largely about um, if you've ever felt like a foreigner, if you've ever felt like an exile, um, that's because you are walking through a foreign land. And this earth is not our home when we are followers of Jesus Christ. We're passing through, and there's a lot to be done here, but we are to live our lives in a way that is very sometimes strange to the rest of the world. And so that's what we're going to look at um, for the next few weeks, starting next week. Today, though, um, there's something kind of different that we're going to talk about. Today, I just kind of have a passage of Scripture that really spoke to me that I think is going to really speak to you, and it's something God put on my heart that I feel like I just really need to share um, that applies to all of us. And so I want to start with a question. And just by show of hands, how many of you in your life right now in some area, you feel overwhelmed? Okay, most of you, all right? Um, that feeling of, of, of stuff coming at you that is more than you can handle, um, of stuff that, that crushes you under the weight of it, that you just feel like this is too much, um, it's too much to bear. I ran into an old friend earlier, earlier this week who he just finished his first year as a public school teacher. And uh, so, of course, I'm thinking, because I haven't been a teacher before, I'm thinking, this is amazing. You just finished your last week as your of your first year. Now you get the whole summer off, which, of course, would be the best part of teaching, right? And uh, he, he says, yeah, it was good. And that was his words, but behind his eyes, I could see something completely different. It was this look of, I don't know if I can do that again next year. <laughs> it was this look of, I just went through some stuff that, you, bro, have no idea about. Um, and it was this feeling of overwhelm. I talked to a new dad um, recently. They just had their first child, and I said, man, that, that is a beautiful baby. Congratulations. Isn't it great being a dad? And again, he said, yeah, but behind his eyes, I could see something else. You know those new dad eyes? I had them. Many of you have had them. Um, it's this feeling of, I don't know if I can carry this. <laughs> this is heavy. This is overwhelming. It's more than I expected. Um, you know, I, I talked to a, a guy this morning in the last service that they just found out they're, they're pregnant with their third kid and they thought they were done. He's overwhelmed. Um, you can see it in his face. He's overwhelmed. Um, maybe for you it's something different. Maybe for you it's time. Man, I never have enough time to do what I need to do. I never have enough time to, to, to get anything done. There's just never enough time. You rush out of the house trying to get food in your kids bellies in the morning and you get them all to three separate schools and then you barely make it to work on time and then you do two people's job for one person's pay all day and then you're stressed you're overwhelmed you leave work in time to go pick up your three kids from three different schools you take one to karate you have 20 minutes to get to the other side of town to get the other one to soccer or whatever it is and then you go to the mcdonald's play place to throw the other one in there just so you have a moment of peace and then you go home and you leave them there that actually happened to somebody in the church this week <laughs> That actually happens. Don't worry, they went back and everything was okay. But it's this feeling of overwhelm and it just gets heavy and, and you just feel like it's too much. There's just too much. Um, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your finances. That can be very overwhelming where you're walking to the mailbox a couple times a week just wondering what bill is waiting for me in that box that I don't have the money to pay. Um, that's overwhelming. It's too much to bear. Uh, maybe it's your marriage. And you're going, you know what, I would really love to have a marriage that's thriving and healthy, but right now I would just settle for some civility. <laughs> I, I would just settle for one night of not arguing. Um, you know, and, and it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, maybe it's comparison. 
Some of you struggle with comparison. Maybe uh, you see the social media picture that your best friend posted, and she made this uh, dairy-free, gluten-free, dye-free, whatever it is, but it looks like it's right out of the magazine, and definitely tastes disgusting, probably. But that's what she did, and you just wish you could do that. And so the question today is, do you feel overwhelmed? And some of you are looking at me like, well, I didn't until I came here, but now I'm feeling overwhelmed. Welcome to Rise. We're glad you're here. But the truth is we all feel overwhelmed at at one point or another. It hits us. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to look at God's Word because I think it has something to say to us when we feel overwhelmed. And uh, it's talking about ten men. Ten men who understood what it was like to feel overwhelmed. And so we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 17. If you want to find it in your Bible, it's also on your outline. If you pull that out of the bulletin, we're going to start in verse 11. It says this, As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered the village there, ten men with leprosy, that's an important point, we're going to come back to that, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So we're introduced in this story to ten men who are feeling very overwhelmed in every single area of their life. Let me break this down for you, and and I know you didn't come here for for a medical lesson, but I think that you need to understand where these guys were coming from in order to understand how overwhelmed they must have been feeling. So the disease of leprosy was one that didn't even show symptoms until five to ten years after you were infected with it. Once it started to show symptoms, though, and you found out you have it, what would happen is your extremities start to rot they start to decompose, and eventually your fingers, your nose, your ears, your eyebrows, all the extremities eventually fall off your body. That's leprosy. There was no cure for it back then. Um, it, was a, it was a horrible thing where you became deformed and smelling, rotting, um, followed by death, and there was no cure. So these guys, these ten men, were overwhelmed every day physically with this disease. At the same time, they were overwhelmed in their life relationally, Because there was no cure for leprosy, and so these guys would be taken from their homes, they'd be put outside the city walls because they were considered unclean. So you don't get to to put your hand on your wife's face anymore, you don't get to hold your children, you don't get to be around those that you love the most, ever again, is how it worked. You're thrown outside the city walls. They were overwhelmed relationally. They were also overwhelmed financially. They couldn't work anymore because of this disease, and so they had to resort to begging outside the city walls. Uh, And they were overwhelmed spiritually because they couldn't go and do what they were doing at that time together as believers like we're doing here and worship together because they were unclean. They couldn't be around the people they cared about. And so if anybody understood what it felt like to be overwhelmed in every area of your life, you have to agree, it's these 10 guys. And I was thinking about that. At the same time as they're so overwhelmed, they did one thing right. They were in the right place. They decided to enter into the presence of Jesus, which no matter what you're going through is the absolute best place you can be. And some of you don't believe that, but it's still true. It's the best place you can be is the presence of Jesus. So what do we do when we're feeling overwhelmed? First of all, it's all about your choices. And you can choose these things that we're going to talk about today. It's your choice. We choose, first of all, to be in the best place. We want to choose to be in the best place. And the reason for that is it's impossible to live our lives right when we're in the wrong place. Sometimes you have to 
take yourself out of the wrong place that you're in and replant yourself in the right place before you can actually live the life that God's called you to live. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a pastor's secret here. Um, I meet with people all week long, most weeks, and a lot of them feel overwhelmed. Sometimes it's marriage or relationships. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's what am I going to do with my kids? They're driving me nuts. Whatever it is. And it doesn't matter the circumstance. The pastoral advice that I give is almost always the way I start, exactly the same. Exactly the same. You need to plant yourself. And you need to plug in and participate in the life of the church. And I know that that, that kind of hits some of you because you don't really want to do that. But here's the problem, and I'm not even saying this church, I'm just saying a local church. It doesn't have to be this one. This isn't the best church for everybody, just like that church isn't the best for everybody. But find one that you can plug into and participate in because we are called to participate in the life of the body of Christ. The church is not a place we come to. That's not how the Bible defines it. The church is us, and we exist to serve the world. That's what the church is. And so we need to participate in that. Um, and so that's the first question that I ask people sometimes is, are you plugged in? Do you come regularly? Do you come and sit and then leave? Or are you making connections? Are you, are you, are you contributing in some way? Are you, are you getting involved with things or, or different things like that? And the, the reason that we do this is because, and we see it time and time again, it starts to change us, not it, but God. God starts to change us from the core when we do this. Almost every single person that I have seen in the church or another church or whatever that starts to, to 180 and they start to make opposite decisions than they were currently making, go down the wrong path, fall back into an addiction, do this or that, almost every single time they pulled away from being connected to the body. They stopped coming here or they stopped coming there. They weren't participating in the connection, in the, in the, the relationships, in the body of the church almost every single time, and, and it's, it's a tragedy. So we come to church because those transformational relationships God uses to, to help us to become the people we want to be. So what do we do when we, we feel overwhelmed? We choose the best place. We participate regularly. Um, my family uh, loves to do adventurous things. We like to do outdoorsy things. And years ago, uh, I was tubing down the Kuia River, and those of you that know the Kuia River well, you know that Every year there's seasons, there's times of the year where the rapids are very unforgiving. There's other times of the year where it's almost dried up to nothing, where you can't even swim in it. And this was one of those times where it was probably going too fast and too hard uh, to be tubing in it, but we went anyway. And I was going down the river in, in my tube, and I got wedged between these two large rocks in the middle of the river, and I'm just kind of stuck there between them. And so I was using my feet to kind of shove off the rocks, and the tube capsized. And those of you that have been in rapids before, you understand what I mean when I say the river started to churn me. So I'm being churned under the water, just rotated and rotated, and it's not spitting me out. That's what rivers do sometimes if you're in the wrong spot. And so it's churning me and churning me. And it was probably only 30 seconds, but it honestly felt like 30 minutes. And obviously it eventually spit me out or I wouldn't be standing here. <laughs> But looking back, to this day, it's still one of the scariest moments of my life, and I remember the feeling, <laughs> like it was yesterday, of thinking I was possibly going to drown. And people that grew up up there, like I did, in Three Rivers, where this river is, understand some things that the tourists that go visit it don't. 
which is you can think that you're a strong swimmer. I was a championship swimmer in high school. You can think you're a strong swimmer. You can think that the rapids don't look this way and that you never have to even wear a life jacket. But there are times a year that people who live that and grew up there will tell you, you don't enter that water without a life jacket. And so when I got out, my buddies told me, you know, you should have been wearing the jacket, man. <laughs> we were worried you weren't going to come up. And I was thinking about that. And, you know, it would have been wise for me to put on the jacket before I fell out of the tube. But yet, in our walk with Christ, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we wait to put on the life jacket that he's provided for us until we've already fallen out of the tube. When we capsize, when we go overboard, that's when we go try to put the jacket on, and sometimes by then it's too late. We need to put it on before we capsize. And one of the greatest life jackets that God gives us as followers of Jesus is to surround ourselves with the body of Christ and participate in the life of a local church, which is God's greatest vessel for shaping us and reaching the world. And without doing that, sometimes you find yourself capsized. And, uh, and you know, the good news, though, is you're here today, and it's a full house, and so um, we're starting the week off right. Check the box, all right? Hebrews 10.25. Because sometimes I hear, you know, I can be a follower of Jesus without going to church. Well, Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. And there's other places in the scriptures. It tells us we are to gather regularly as the body of Christ to worship God, to study the word, and to do life together. It makes it very clear. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. So be where you can be encouraged and where God can transform you from the inside out. Be in the best place. So these men with leprosy, these guys that had everything going wrong in their life that you could think of, um, they did one thing right. They were in the best place, right? They were in the presence of Jesus. So what happened next? In verse 14, it says, he looked at them. So Jesus looked at these men. He looked at them, and he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. Don't miss that. Go show yourself to the priest. So what did Jesus say? He said, go to church. I'm not going to heal you right here, right now. Go to church. And then it says, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. As they obeyed and went, they were cleansed of the leprosy. And so at this point in the message, I, I, I don't need to remind you of this because those who know me know this very well, but I am not Jesus, okay? And if I was doing this miracle, I was thinking about this this week, I would have done it very differently than Jesus did it. Jesus did it right, but I would have done it differently. If I was him, I probably would have said, okay, you want to be healed? You're crying out for mercy? Go into the city, get as many people as you can and bring them back here. Let's make a big circle and surround these men, and then I'm going to lay hands on them, and I'm going to heal them like that, and it's going to be this extraordinary miracle that everybody goes and tells the world about. That's how I would probably do it. But that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't do that. He basically says, go, see the priest, and as you go, as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were healed. What did they do? They walked. They put one foot right in front of the other. They took step after step after step, doing something that seemed so very ordinary and not extraordinary, but that's where the extraordinary came through. That's how Jesus healed them. And really, you know, when I pray for healing in my own life, a lot of times when I pray for healing in, in some of your lives, I pray, God, would you heal them miraculously? Would, would you heal them in a way where they come and tell me the story and it's like, it's gone, it's just they're healed. And we've seen that happen here, and sometimes God does work that way. Sometimes he does heal miraculously. We've, we've seen it without a shadow of a doubt. But I have to be honest with you. More often, we see people healed that we're praying for 
in a very ordinary way. Whether physically or spiritually or emotionally or mentally, we see them taking step after step after step. Very ordinary things, and then God begins to do something extraordinary through that over a period of time. And that's just as miraculous. And so, so here's what it might look like for you. Uh, maybe, maybe your marriage is struggling. And man, I, I wish that I could have a healthy marriage. I wish that we would treat each other better, whatever it is. Um, so here's what you do. You wake up tomorrow morning and you say, you know what, I'm going to take one step and I'm going to make a shift here and I'm going to love my wife sacrificially today, no matter what she does back. And then the next day you get up and you do it again and you say, you know what, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church because that's what the Word of God tells me to do. It doesn't say love her if she loves you back. It doesn't say love her so that you can get this from her. It says love her sacrificially, unconditionally, like Christ served the church. How did Christ serve the church? He gave himself up for it when we didn't deserve it. And then the next day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do it again. Not because of what I might receive back, but because God commands me to. And then, over a period of time, as you go, putting one foot in front of the other, doing something very ordinary, God brings healing into your life. And that's just as miraculous. As they went, they were healed. And yet, here's the really crazy thing about this story. The climax of this story is not the miracle. It's not that the ten guys with leprosy were healed. The climax of this story, the point of this story, is their response to the miracle their response to what Jesus did for them. Let me read you this part. So in verse 15, it says, one of them, there were ten, right? It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting praise to God. So he recognized that he had been healed, and he goes back to God and thanks him and praises him, right? Then he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done, for this man was a Samaritan. What does that mean? It means in that culture, he was half Jewish, half non-Jewish, which meant he didn't even believe all the same things that they believed, and yet he was the only one that returned to thank Jesus and give him the credit for what was done. He was the least likely one to return and give God praise, and yet he did. And when I read this story, I have questions, right? (laughs) I have a lot of questions, and, and you have questions, and Jesus has questions too, because in verse 17, here's what he says. It says that Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? It's the same question we're asking. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? Except for the least likely among them to come back? Jesus said to the man, stand up and go for your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you strong. Your faith has literally saved you. He had already experienced physical healing. Now he's experiencing this complete spiritual healing because of his faith. And because he returned with thanks and praise. And yet we have questions. It's the same questions that Jesus has. What happened to the other nine? Why did one man who experienced the same miracle as the other nine return and the other nine did not? Because I I read the story over and over again, and what I see is that they all had an identical experience. They all had leprosy. They were all outside the city walls. They all cried out to Jesus, and they were all healed miraculously. But only one of the ten returns to Jesus. Why? It might be the same reason that sometimes in a church, you have some people who come on a given Sunday, 
and they hear the exact same words, they worship the exact same God, they actually have a pretty identical experience. Some of those people return the next week having grown and applied it to their life, other people you don't see for two months. And you have to ask the question, why? When they're having an identical experience, why is it that the response is so different? And I think if we look at this story, it becomes apparent. It's because two people can look at the exact same thing and see something completely different, right? I could pick any two of you, and you can look at the exact same thing, and you might see it completely different from completely different eyes. And so it's a matter of perspective. Because the nine, when they got healed, they saw this. They, they, saw, uh, they saw we got healed of our leprosy. The one saw that Jesus healed them of their leprosy. See the difference? The nine, when they were healed, saw that, well, Jesus gave us what we asked for. The one saw that Jesus gave me what I asked for, even though I did not deserve it. The nine saw that Jesus heard our cries of mercy. The one said that Jesus healed me through those cries of mercy in a way that I never imagined possible. The nine said, great, I can return to my old life. The one said, this is too big, I'm going to start a new life. So what should, should we do when we feel overwhelmed? Well, we should also choose the best perspective. The best perspective. How can two people look at the same exact thing and see something completely different? It's a matter of perspective. Because here's the next point. Where you sit often determines what you see. The angle you're viewing from, where you're sitting, what you're watching, what you're looking at, where you're at will determine the viewpoint that you have sometimes. And so if you're sitting at the foot of the cross, if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're going to see life from a completely different perspective than somebody who's not. Years ago, I had a, a friend and a mentor who sat down with a neuro-oncologist. And in that meeting, he was told, you have stage four glioblastoma, brain cancer, of one of the most severe types. And he was told that with treatment, the average life expectancy with this type of cancer is 14 months. And so you can imagine the emotions that are going through his head and how he was feeling overwhelmed. Fear. Grief. And, and you know, the doctor told him, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to do surgery. We're going to do chemo. We're going to do uh, uh, radiation. We're going to try some new things. And you know, if everything goes great, if all goes well, if all goes well, you might have two good years. Completely overwhelmed. So, you know, this is a painful place to be, but just for a moment with me, okay? Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. And I know that's painful, but put yourself in his shoes having received that news. And just imagine some of the thoughts that are going through your head when you get that. Like, I'm not going to grow old with my spouse. I don't get to see my kids graduate from high school. I don't get to meet the people that my kids are going to marry someday. Um, I don't get to hold my grandchildren. I don't get to see the people that my kids become. Completely overwhelming. But there was a shift inside his head, in the gears of his mind. 
and his perspective totally changed. And he would go speak to groups of people and he would come to, to the, the church I was at at the time and other churches and he would talk and I'm just to this day, years and years later, amazed at the perspective he had. Because I think it's so rare. Because he would have told you during that time, you know, I don't fully understand why God has allowed this to happen to me. But I still know who I belong to. And he would tell you, you know, I'm praying for healing, I'm believing for healing, but even if God doesn't heal me from this like I want him to, I still trust him. Those are the words that came out of his mouth. One time he said, <laughs> he said, you know, in some ways, this circumstance is a gift. Because I'm seeing God do things through me that I've never seen before. And even in this circumstance, he said, and you could see it in his face, I'm experiencing a joy that is just inexpressible. And the question I have, because we have to all wrestle with this, is how did he have that perspective in the middle of that circumstance? How does one person look at something that the rest of the world looks at and goes, this is a curse, and say the words, this is a gift in some ways. And I don't know if I'll fully grasp that, but the reason is because he made the decision to choose the best perspective. And he understood that where he sat determined what he would see, and he was sitting at the foot of the cross where you can't help but see God in the midst of your circumstances. Because when you sit at the foot of the cross and you have the perspective and you understand and you acknowledge and you see what Jesus himself went through for you who did not deserve it but he did it anyway, it completely changes how you see your situation. That he had to endure that. And I think I shouldn't have to endure anything. And I'm not trying to minimize the pain because I feel it too. So what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? We choose the best perspective, which the best perspective is the perspective that Jesus Christ is the center of our world. No matter what happens, He is the center of all that we do and all that we believe and everything going on. Isaiah 55, verse 8. I'm just going to read it to you. It's not on the screen. It says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So we choose the best perspective in life, which is the perspective of God. For years, I've been praying the same prayer, and it really has shifted my perspective. Almost every day, I pray, God, today would you give me your eyes, that I could see people the way you see them, not the way that I see them. Did you know that God sees most people differently than you probably see them? <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> and then I say, God, would you give me your ears to hear things the way that you hear them? To interpret things the way that they are, not as I want to. God, would you give me, would you give me your mind to think like you think? Would you give me your heart to feel the things that you feel and care about the things that you care about? And it really shifted my perspective. And you know, when you pray that prayer every morning... 
Guys, you don't have a choice but to let go of pride <laughs> because that has no place in the character of God. What am I praying for when I pray that prayer every day? I'm praying that God would give me his perspective. That he'd, not, he'd take away mine and give me his perspective on everything. Why? Because having the best perspective in life, it doesn't change your circumstances, by the way. But it does change how you see your circumstances. And that makes a lot of difference. It makes a lot of difference. So we choose the best place, we choose the best perspective, and then the third one, we also need to choose the best priorities. Not all, not all priorities are equal. And so a lot of times we need to look at our priorities and how we prioritize different areas of our life and make sure that we're doing it the right way according to God's word. Because what you see will determine who you will be. And your priorities determine that. Your perspective will determine the priorities that you're going to live out in your life. And you know, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, because I've studied this a lot, I feel like I'm pretty clear on what my priorities are supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. It's really not hidden in there if you read it. it he makes it clear where our, where our allegiance is to lie, who, what's supposed to be first in our lives. So he makes it very clear to me when I study his word that, that first and foremost, I am to love and serve God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength in every area of my life. And not to make it like a list either, like a lot of us do, like God's my number one, and then my family, and then, but God is actually first in all those areas. So God's first in my family. God's first in my, my time. God's first in these areas, my work. It's not God, then my work. It's God is first in that, in those areas. And then I feel like he also makes it pretty clear that after that, I'm supposed to love and serve my wife like Christ loved and served the church. And then I'm supposed to raise my children and love and invest in them so that they grow up to be men and women of God. And then I'm supposed to love and serve those that he's placed around me. And then last, still important, because God loves us, we are to love ourselves. But that's last. And he makes the priority list pretty clear in his word, what our priorities are supposed to be, that God is first and foremost. And yet, way too often as a follower of Jesus Christ, I think these thoughts and I say these things and I know a lot of us do and far too often as a pastor I hear these things, well, if I just had more time I would do this. This is something God tells me to do but I don't have enough time so if I had more time I would do this. You know, if I just had more peace, I would, if I just had more time I would start with God's word every day and study it. If I just had more time I would pray to him more. But life is crazy, right? Or, you know, my, my schedule's just too crazy to, to, to put God first every, every day. My, my schedule's too crazy. You know, I mean, Johnny loves soccer. And, you know, six months a year it's on Sunday, so we can't come. But, but it is a priority to me. Not really. I know that stings a little bit, but I'm just talking about priorities. You know, or sometimes we might say, you know, if I only had more money, then I would put God first in that area of my life. Have you ever had somebody in your life who sits down across from you, looks you in the eye, and says something like this, this line that we've all heard, you know, Jared, I love you, but some of you are chuckling because you've heard it before, like, son, I love you, but, <laughs> and some of you have said it to your kids or your spouse, babe, I love you, but, and in a healthy relationship, what that person is saying is, I really love you, but I'm about to drop a truth bomb. <laughs> and a truth bomb 
is something that should always be communicated in love, okay? Not harshness, in love. But a truth bomb is usually something that you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. And I have people in my life that drop those in my life because I give them permission to. And, you know, when, when we start thinking things and saying things like, well, when life isn't so crazy, well, when I have more time, well, when this, when that, the truth is we need a little bit of a truth bomb. And so, as your pastor, today I would like to say, Rise Church, I love you, but I need to drop a little truth bomb. And here's the truth bomb. And I'm telling you this in love, okay? I, I love you so much. Here's, here's the deal, though. When you love somebody, you're willing to drop a truth bomb once in a while. And you're willing to tell people what they need to hear sometimes even when they don't want to hear it. And so here's the truth bomb. When we think and say these things like, when I have more time, I'll put this as a priority. When I have more of this, when I have more of that, I'll put it as a priority. What we, what we don't have is a time problem. What we don't have is a financial problem. What we don't have is an opportunity problem. What we have is a priority problem. And we're ordering the things in our life in the wrong order and in the wrong priority, and that's why sometimes things aren't going so hot. Um, Joshua 24, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, he stands before the people of Israel, before the people of God, and he says this. He says, choose this day. Choose this day who you're going to serve. So Joshua is recognizing that every day he wakes up, every day, he's going to say, I'm going to choose today who I'm going to serve. And so he says, choose this day who you're going to serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So then the question is, what does it look like practically when we put God at the priority spot in every area of our life? And I could go on for an hour about this, but I'm just going to tell you a few. So one of them is, I'm going to start my week with God's people. I'm going to start my week in church. That's how I'm going to start every week. Yes, I'm going to be sick. Yes, I'm going to go on vacation, but I'm going to start my week when I can in church, in the life, connected to the life of God's people. I'm going to start my day with God's word because I know the promise from God that if I'm going to become more like Jesus, I have to spend more time with Jesus. And one of the best ways to do that is spending time in his word. So I'm going to start my day in God's word. I'm going to start my prayers with thanksgiving because so many times we pray I need this, I need that, I want this, I want that. No, we start our prayers with thanksgiving. Because here's the truth, and I know this is going to rub some people the wrong way, but it's still true, so I have to say it, because we do that here. Um, if you never get another gift for the rest of your life, but you have received salvation from Jesus Christ, you have still been given more than you will ever deserve. And so have I. And so we start our prayers with thanksgiving. And Jesus said that when he taught them how to pray, he said, you always start with thanksgiving. You start, you begin with praise. And some of you are going, you know, Jared, you got a little bit of fire about this. You're a little too passionate. The reason is because I've been through so many different seasons in my life where I was not putting God in whatever area first priority spot in that area of my life and I saw the impact it made I saw the difference I saw the overwhelm that took me over and it was not the good kind of overwhelm 
And you see, the reward of putting God first in every area of your life is not that he would give you more of what you want, it's that he would give you more of, your, of himself. And there's nothing better than that. And so I started this message with a question, and the question was, do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like there's more coming at you than you can handle? And by the way, there's a little zinger in the scripture that we all know, and the way that we quote it is, God will not give us more than we can handle. And that is one of the most misrepresented, twisted verses in all of scripture, because the truth is, we're often given more than we can handle. I was given more than I can handle this week, guys. The accurate interpretation of that verse, if you really break it down and understand the context of that verse, because you can't just take a verse out of Scripture without understanding the parts around it, <laughs> is God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. That's actually what it's talking about. In other words, it doesn't matter how much temptation comes your way and how much you want to take the wrong path or make the wrong decision, you have the strength and the ability to make the right one. There's always a way out of the temptation. But it does not say that you'll never be overwhelmed or that he will never allow more to happen to you than you feel like you can handle. It doesn't say that. In fact, often it says the opposite. You remember the thing Jesus said? I think he said, um, when you follow me, I'll make all things easier. No, that's not what he said. He actually said, if you want to follow me, I might actually ask you to pick up that cross there, that heavy one with splinters, follow me up a hill and we might get crucified together. Ouch. <laughs> that's pretty different from what you hear preached sometimes, but that's the word of God, guys. That's what it really says. And we're real here. We want to tell you the truth, not the thing that's going to make you walk out and say, "Woo!" That's good too sometimes, though. So here's the deal. I'll close with this. My prayer for you is this. My prayer is not that you would hear these words today and walk out of here and never feel overwhelmed again. I'm not going to pray that. I'm actually going to pray that you would walk out of here feeling more overwhelmed than you did walking in, but by different things. So I want to be overwhelmed every day by the goodness of God. I want to alter my perspective and sit at the foot of the cross so that I can see things through God's eyes in a way where I am overwhelmed by what he did for me. I'm overwhelmed by his grace and his mercy and how no matter what comes my way, he's still done more for me than I could ever ask or imagine. He secured my eternity. He sent his spirit to live inside me. He's given me the perfect example to follow and he's given me a life to live that is far from easy and is harder than anything I could have lived without him, to be honest with you, but that is better and more purposeful and more fulfilling and the only way to live as far as I'm concerned and as far as he's concerned as well. That's what I want to be overwhelmed by. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that a lot of different people walked in here feeling a lot of different things and overwhelmed in different areas of their life. And God, again, my, my prayer today is not that they would not be overwhelmed, God, but that you would overwhelm them with your goodness. God, that as they put one foot right in front of the other, 
And as they take step after step after step, God, that you would show them how you are the master at taking all those ordinary steps of obedience where they put you at the center and you at the first priority spot in every area of their life. And that through that, you do the extraordinary. So God, I do pray for miracles in the lives of your people, the ones sitting in this room. But God, I also acknowledge that most of the time those miracles and those extraordinary things come through those ordinary steps of following you day after day after day and continuing to be faithful. And God, I know there's also some things in this room that are so painful Usually the things that are most painful are the things that are happening to those that we love the most. They're not even happening to us. And God, I just want to acknowledge that pain because it's very real. And God, all I can say is I pray for a miracle in those people's lives. And I believe that you can do that. But this is the hard part, and this is my prayer for everybody sitting in here, God. Even if you don't answer a prayer exactly as we think you should, may we still trust you and remember that you are God and we are not.